and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm <laughs> your moderator, JP. <laughs> and I am here with Father Chuck. What's up? And Father Fun is with us once again. Hey. And he's going to be with us for the entirety of Music Mayhem. We hope. If we can hope. get all of us together on time. <laughs> You know, I, I, and and Matt is on his way. He is going to be here. This is not uh, an occasional Matt moment. He is going to be here. So, so it's kind of a miracle. All four of us will be here at once, two weeks in a row. Um, so stand by for Matt. So it's Music Mayhem. It's the first episode of Music Mayhem. This is our fourth, right? Yes, I yeah. believe so. And I chose Nirvana's. Never mind. Is our first album. Um, so I kind of want to preface this episode. I, I I told these guys that I wanted to do something a bit different this time around. Usually, we really get into like kind of analytical weeds during Music Mayhem. We really try to get into the headspace of the performers and the artists, and we try to really divine the lyrics and uh, you know go line by line. What do they mean? What does it all mean, Basil? Right. This time around, I didn't really want to do that. I really wanted to let uh, the music speak for itself. And I wanted to focus more on how people, how, how we all felt uh, about the music personally, what we were experiencing and, and sort of engage with it on that level. You know, but if there were like things you know about Kurt about the band and about the music. It's fine to share that. I'm not going to be like, you know, don't don't share any trivia because I probably will. Can't help it. <clears throat> Lifelong fan. Um, um, so, yeah, we're kind of taking that approach to it, which I think is going to be interesting and a bit more fun. And because of that, I actually didn't do much research at all, honestly, uh, aside from I did watch this really great documentary on, on HBO called uh, Montage of Heck, which is a documentary about Kurt Cobain, but it's not a documentary like searching for answers. It's sort of like, it actually is kind of like a montage. It's a lot of animation, a lot of uh, exploring his music and his journals and uh, kind of a sort of more of a voyeuristic view of Kurt and Courtney and his life and stuff and really revealing and interesting. And uh, highly recommend it. If you have HBO Go, check it out um so that's really that and listening to the album like a handful of times is pretty much all i did to prepare and uh, it was a bit freeing i like it um partly because like you know lyrical analy analyzing lyrics i don't know why i had trouble saying that um analysis? lyrical analysis is what you're lyrical analysis yeah. uh thank you um is you know, it's something that we do, but it, it it's so it's sort of unduly emphasized in a lot of music conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I was it's I was struck by reading a few things about Kurt Cobain. You know, I mean, really, just like I, I should say, reading a few things about Kurt Cobain. Uh, <laughs> reading reading the Wikipedia page um, <laughs> that uh, you know that that he sort of did not like the fact that people analyze his lyrics so much he thought that was kind of stupid and he mm -hmm. you know he he you know in, in a lot of cases even with nirvana with um with nevermind i'm not sure how it was with um in utero but with nevermind i mean he was 
he was writing lyrics up until like the moment he had to record them. Yeah. Um, that was not his primary thing um, in this. And that um, and that he wanted he wanted the music to be more the thing you paid attention to than any kind of lyrical bit. So I think it's fitting for this album to talk about that. And I kind of like it's freeing because, you know, I've listened I've of all the songs in this record. I've listened to Teen Spirit more times than I can count. Probably as most people. One billion views on YouTube. <sighs> yeah. Wow. But like I've tried, I, I've listened to the lyrics and I've tried to make sense of it over the years. And I just like, I, I, I'm like, I don't see the point. And even Kurt was like, there really is no point. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of nice to, to be freed from that feeling of, 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 of basically a person who approached songwriting similarly to the way that John Lennon did when he did like, I am the walrus, which was just like intentionally, you know, vague nonsense type stuff, just, you know, to have fun with the people who overemphasize that kind of thing. So you think about like it, what, what they say about, or like I, I heard this thing about Don McLean that like, he just, he like very quickly after American pie, he just would get so pissed at, at people who would try to figure it out and would, would ask him what it meant and everything. And, and he just finally was just, I'm not, I'm never talking about it again. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to do that. There he is. Officer Matt. Occasional Matt hey. is here. <laughs> Look who's on twice in a row, guys. Twice in a row. He's got a he's got a streak. Yep. Nice. Uh, he's nice. on a roll. Um I I think too, this will allow us to talk about this in a different way because I think the musical choices that, that were made in the songwriting in terms of the kind of layering of musical genres and things that are going on is just as important to mm -hmm. talk about. Well, you know, uh, I think I, I know his process, uh, the process the reason why he's he's always like if you watch interviews, there's calendars interviews with him and people are always like, what does this song mean? What does this song mean? He's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, he's like, I'm just as lost as you are. But that's because most of his lyrics come from uh, poetry that he wrote in his journals. And so it's like if he's writing a song, he'd go back to his journals and just like look through, like find whatever sounds good and just like plug it in. And he's like, and you know, when I wrote those poems, I didn't really, it just like sounded good. <laughs> like they not, not really a theme. There's nothing thematic going on. I'm just kind of putting in there, you know, and in other interviews, like when people are talking about like what they, what they feel like he's trying to do, he looks so bored and he's finally just, and in one interview I saw, he's just like, I just want to know what you think. I just want to know what the fans think. I don't care about like these reporters spewing nonsense. So I want to honor that, and uh, I think uh, I'm. I think it's it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to what you guys thought and felt listening to Nevermind. So, JP. Yes, Chuck. Why did you pick Nirvana? Nirvana's Nevermind as your album, the first album of Music Mayhem this year. It's right out the gate. I didn't feel like I was setting much of a precedent. Um, but it is interesting I, uh, that uh, in order to, uh, as the first one, you know, um, but, uh, I feel like you know, this is our fourth music mayhem and I feel like I've just been dancing around it since the beginning. And, you know, I, I have, I've written so much notes here and like under where it says why Nirvana, I write in really big words, why not? <laughs> And uh, why did I avoid it? And I think it's because I've just been too scared of being on the nose 
um, am I revealing too much of who I am? I, I will say right off the bat that this is the, my, my last 90s album I ever choose for Music Man. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> because every single one has been from the 90s. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking um, that the last time that we talked about a record that was your choice with Father Fun on the on the show was when you picked Foo Fighters Color in the Shape. Yeah. And I referred to Foo Fighters as the Adam Sandler of rock and roll. <laughs> and, you know, like, this is something you deeply love. And so you're putting yourself out there once again <laughs> with something that you deeply love. I know. But, you know, I, I have more confidence this time. Oh, and by the way, hi, Father Fun again. <laughs> hey, Matt. I thought you were maybe referring to me uh, as being on twice in a row since, you know, it's your podcast. And so I just assume you, you're on all the time. You've been on more than me in the last couple of years. So don't worry about it. You're, you're doing fine. Um, carry on, carry on. So JP, so you picked, you picked, you picked Nirvana's Nevermind. Well, you picked Nirvana. Yeah. Why not? And that yeah. makes sense, right? Your, yeah. your, your favorite band is something I've known about you since the moment I met you that you loved Nirvana. Um, I'm curious now, the next question is, why Nevermind? Why not In Utero or Bleach? That's a great question. Or or Unplugged. And you know what? In, in Utero and Unplugged were two that floated, that I, that I, that I floated before choosing Nevermind. Uh, unplugged because just beautiful skills on display, right? Uh, in Utero because, um, wow, sad. And like, I mean, if I were to actually analyze an album by Nirvana, it would be in utero because I think it's the last one he recorded before he died. Basically, they got that was recorded and put out before he before he committed suicide. And I think a lot of people find like if you listen to that, you're like, oh yeah, I can hear it. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why I didn't choose that though is because I just feel like it that that is a more analytical. I feel like I feel like I would it would be too much of a temptation to analyze that album. I didn't want to focus on his suicide. I didn't want to focus on his death or his depression. I wanted to focus on him as an artist, and I feel like Nevermind is perfect for that because mm -hmm. it, I mean it's the one that changed everything. Yeah, so, I mean this. I mean the, the 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 release of that album was probably akin to the Beatles showing up in the Ed Sullivan Show. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was it was, you know, I mean, as 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 one other rock journalist I've heard said that the, the, the moment you hear the drum kick in Teen Spirit, you're hearing music change forever. Yeah, dude. Um, and and so and like and I, that's not really an understatement at all. Yeah. And so it's it's I'm I'm, I'm glad you picked this album for our discussion, because as I'm and is that I, we've we've talked some big albums on this show. But we've not hit anything this big, mm -hmm. and and you know, and it's and it's a record that I think because of its impact, you know, listening to it now, it's it's sort of hard to hear that because we live in you know the world after it, um, and I think probably a lot of kids listening to this record now would probably be like, I don't see what the big deal was, probably, um, but. Um, but I, and I'm hoping we'll, you know, be able to talk a little bit about that too, because that's the thing that really fascinates me, um, with this, with this conversation is why this record had the impact that it did when arguably it's not the best of Nirvana's output. It's arguably not even the best grunge record that was produced of its time. 
Probably. Right. There were other bands doing what they were doing probably better. But for whatever reason, this album was the one that resonated. Like I read something where um, like Soundgarden mm-hmm. were like sitting there and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why did they what, what happened? <laughs> How come they're up the charts? Like we've been doing we've been doing this for a while. Like what happened? Yeah, I think Nirvana synthesized it more, you know, is what yeah. I think happened. Um, yeah. So can I just talk about like my my journey as a Nirvana fan to become a Nirvana fan and like absolutely growing up I've kind of known about Nirvana my whole life because I used to watch MTV when I was a little kid like when my parents were away and my sister took care of me we watched MTV together that was what we did and Nirvana I was always like afraid of them like they seemed so dangerous and like you know we we've talked we talked about this in the Green Day episode like you know there's kind of a drug culture involved and it's very sad kind of angry it was really my vibe, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> right? Hey, JP, before you continue, yeah. can I just do a quick age check on everybody? Okay. I, I'm 36. Yeah. I was born in 83. Yeah. I'm 38. I was born in 82. 36, born in 84. Cool. So we're all technically older millennials or like the millennial generation. Wait, wait, we, yeah, were, we were all in elementary age. school. Oh, I'm 36. Sorry, I said 83. Yeah. I, um, the way I look mentioned. at it is like older older millennials, zennials, we went to school with Generation X and we lived in their shadows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we and, and, and so we were all in like fourth or fifth grade in 91. Does that sound right? No, I was I mean, I was in fourth grade in 94. That was like when he killed himself. So I was still fairly young. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's right. We would have been third third or fourth grade or second or third grade okay so we were still yeah, really young I, to have heard it yeah like when it yeah, first came I out just, okay okay so it existed old, before but... our oh yeah okay so sorry you were saying um uh dangerous yeah that, I, I always saw them as dangerous when i was a kid and you know i had a, a best friend when i was like 10 years old who loved nirvana and he was like he was obsessed with like being cool because he, he had a lot of money and uh he always kind of flaunted this uh, he had a 14 karat gold copy of Nevermind. And he'd be like, you need to listen to music like this, JP, if you want to be cool. And I was like, I don't know, man. This is like, it, it, it was like asking me to do drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I just want to watch Power Rangers. Um, so years go by and like I'm kind of going through middle school like, and the scene is still kind of happening even after like Kurt Cobain's death, right? And so, like, the kids who picked on me in middle school, they weren't jocks. I never had a problem with jocks. They never bothered me. But the grunge kids were merciless towards me. And they all loved Nirvana. And, like, they wore Nirvana shirts, and they had, like, the Kurt Cobain hairstyles. Uh, like, you know, when I look at... When I looked at Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic, like, I saw bullies at that age. I think at college that... Um, they released you know you're right and that song was like in heavy rotation i really liked it and that's kind of when i bought my poster my Kirk Cobain poster that got blessed um <laughs> and i also uh i kind of got really sucked into the courtney love conspiracy theory that she murdered Kirk Cobain. <laughs> and i and what's interesting the reason why i bring that up is because i think like i'll get to that in a minute then after that well into college I hadn't become friends with Chuck just yet, but Matt and I were friends. I got really into the crow. <laughs> I went through bit. I went through a crow phase. Guys, guys, guys. When he says really into the crow, <laughs> he means 
Really? And I want, but I do want to point out, I didn't put on like any makeup a, or anything like that. Like, I did not like a, didn't wrap myself in electrical like tape or anything. He wants to hang out tonight. Great, get to hear about the crow kind of scenario. So just we went on a we went on a road trip. We went on a road trip up to. He was like Chuck. Chuck, thank God you didn't know him yet. <laughs> that you met him after the crow. But I'm I'm done. I won't interrupt you anymore. But carry on. We. So but, you're so you're but, saying that JP was just as into the crow. How he died filming the crow. But carry on. Go ahead. Father Fun, please. I, I was I was I was saying that you're you're saying that JP is as into the crow as Chuck is into Keelan. It's that kind of a thing. Probably. Well played. Slow clap. Slow clap. Wow. Well played, wow. Father Solid, well solid played. burn, both um, of us. Jeez. Got yeah, us both. Yeah. Solid burn. <laughs> but Father Fun, to put it into perspective, I would say no. Take about one step further, and that was JP <laughs> in the crowd. Hey, well, if I took it one step further, I would have been wearing the makeup, which I didn't do. But that's probably... No, I, no, I think uh, you were so close Here, to that, JP. Here's a question, so JP. Yeah. Be, be, let's get real. 100% right now. Okay. Did you ever put on the makeup in a bath in a bathroom <laughs> mirror and look at yourself? No, I've never put the makeup on in my life. Never, never even tried it. No, you know why? <laughs> you know why, Chuck? Because I thought I was too what? fat. That's why. Okay. Mm. Uh, why does this make me feel bad? Sadly, that <laughs> yeah. just wiped yeah. out. Did you ever? Thanks did you ever? Did you ever? Uh, did you ever paint the nails? Fun out of that conversation. No, I, but I did wear. A, uh, I did go to Hot Topic and bought <laughs> some spiked bracelets once, and. Uh, Matt made fun of me a lot for that. Because <laughs> uh, I was not now because wait, of my braces, wait. but because I was also wearing khakis. Um, yes, I did not make fun of him in the same way the grunge kids did. I made fun of him for not committing. It wasn't about wearing the spike bracelets. It was like JP, if you're gonna do it, go for it, man. Come on. And he wouldn't Please. commit one way or the other. So it was like seeing Xander from Buffy wear spike bracelets um it just it didn't work hey can we please at some point do an episode on mid 90s mall culture totally (laughs) because like oh we're gonna do an episode on the crow too let's not hell yeah i've never seen it i've never seen that that movie (laughs) okay well you do need to see it but at the same time when you see it you'll probably be on my side (laughs) not jp's (laughs) this is quick drop he's just like (laughs) we we went to um he didn't he he just off camera he's like it's right here on my dvd collection See, that reminds me of the JP we're talking about because he was probably carrying it on his person 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just in case somebody said, I've never seen it. I kind of want to. Well, I've got it right here. Well, Uh, and this is this is a copy that I bought when we would go to the mall and we hung out at those like record DVD shops. And I just saw there. I just grabbed it. And like, that's when it started. Like. Um, and like I even did, I even still have video. notes for when I did a visual storing uh, class, storytelling <laughs> class uh, presentation. I did a little presentation on the music of The Crow. They're still in there. All right, now that that segues over, continue, <laughs> JP. So yeah, I, so uh, never mind. <laughs> I, I, so it was it really was just a phase. Like I went through it and then all of a sudden I was just bored of The Crow. But I had, I listened to the soundtrack from The Crow and got really into that. And the music on the soundtrack is awesome, by the way. Uh, it's like one of the first like alt rock soundtracks, so it kind of made history because it has like Nine Inch Nails um, and like The Cure and a bunch of other cool bands of that time. Um, 
so I was still like into the music. It kind of put me into like a '90s mood for a while, and because I, at the time I was like, "What's more '90s than Nirvana? Like, let's keep this, let's keep this '90s ball rolling," and um, just started listening to more Nirvana. And you know, I was away from my parents living in college, so when I was in high school, I wouldn't be able to do this. So I I, I just started to listen to the music. You know, I bought the the 20th anniversary album that had the "You Know You're Right" song, which I I loved at the time. Um, and of course there's also the, the, the mystique of the Courtney Love conspiracy theory that was also kind of part of it a little bit, I have to admit. Um, but the interesting thing about that is that like it, by focusing so much on the rebelliousness and the nineties aesthetic and also sort of the seventies aesthetic, which I was starting to get into at the time as well. Um, you know, I wasn't really identifying with the kind of, uh, what was kind of driving his music, which was his depression um, the feelings of alienation, uh, you know, deep things like that. I wasn't connecting with it, but I think I was doing it on purpose because I was sort of in denial of my own feelings at the time because I love Nirvana. They were becoming my favorite band, but I was so, part of me was kind of afraid to be like, you know, I'm going to a Christian school and someone's going to ask me, what's your favorite band? Nirvana. Like, oh, uh, steer clear from that kid, you know? But I think on a subconscious level, I, I was connecting with it, you know? I, went, I started going to therapy, and I started just kind of being more open about what I liked. And I just kind of suddenly was like, I'm flying that Nirvana flag. This is my favorite band. I love them. Um, and, you know, at the time, I was looking for, like, an identity, as, as most people are at that age. This is my sophomore year in college. I was looking for an identity. I was looking for something that was revolutionary, Um and to me, that's just what Nirvana represented, not, not just the pain, but also to, like, make waves, to break down walls and evolve. Um, and plus, they only had, like, three albums, so, like, they're really easy to get into. Um, and that's kind of what I started to kind of get into other, like, grunge bands. And I started to get into punk. I started listening to The Pixies and Bikini Kill and, uh, you know, started learning about the Shags and stuff. And I think <laughs> more recently I've been able to embrace them um, because I've started to learn more about depression and how to live with it. They are becoming more, not just like I, I listen to them because they make me depressed or whatever, or they um, uh, there's like some kind of answer to it. No, they kind of, they help me get through it. They help me see the other side of the day. I guess you could say like when they, they, they kind of, I can hang out with them until the weather clears, if that makes any sense. And so mm -hmm. like, I, I'm, I'm going full on. I'm, I'm uh yeah. Number one Nirvana fan, number one band of all time here in lab, uh, more than Foo Fighters. And I love this album more than color and the shape. Um, so that's my, uh, that's my journey with Kirk Cobain and all right. becoming a Nirvana fan. So at this point, should I hand this back over to you to moderate all of us, JP? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. JP's yeah. got to moderate this one. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to ask, uh, I know I kind of went long, but I, I do want to know like sort of what your initial thoughts are about Nirvana just in general. Uh, and I'd like to start oh. with, with uh, Father Fun, if he doesn't mind. Oh, just, just, everybody's yeah, going to say I, everything I want. <laughs> I can't remember the first time... I can consciously remember hearing Nirvana 
Um, but I do have this memory of of the unplugged the, the video of unplugged. Yeah. And um just hearing or seeing and hearing <laughs> that his pain as he sings the the Mary, 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 Mary line from um whatever that is. Is it lake a song of, from Inuit? Lake, lake of Fire. Is that Mary? No, Mary, Mary Gliss, uh not glycerine. Anyway, it's like the very end of lithium. Unplugged. Lithium. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lithium, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, I know what you mean. Um, and just being—it's all I, apologies. I Actually, I think it's all apologies. Oh, right, all yeah. Apologies. All apologies. My bad. Yeah, just seeing Number like he just had, like I, I can have that like image of him strumming the acoustic guitar and like just the pain and like I—that's I, that's like seared into my brain for some reason. Um, and, and like early, um. You know, I, I don't think I've ever, um, I, I like, I, I really like Weird Al. And so I'm familiar with the smells like Nirvana. Um, I, I like Nirvana, but I've never had really like strong opinions about Nirvana. You know, when, when you were going through all of your kind of Nirvana discovery stuff or really around the time when Nirvana, when I was in high school, I was mostly listening to 70s hard rock stuff. Okay. And I never would turn off Nirvana, but I also wasn't. I, I never, never really sought it out. Um, you know, I have some thoughts about this album, having her like listen to it really for the first time for this. Um, but, uh, but I can save those for later. Um, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm pro Nirvana. I'm thankful for their uh, contribution to music. Um, I'm a little annoyed by the aesthetic of Gen X, but I'm glad that they finally got a voice <laughs> um, and that they started the, the downfall of the boomers. But um, uh Yeah. Okay. I could have done without the Foo Fighters personally as an, as an offshoot, but, uh, you know, it's fine. It happens. Yeah. Um, how about you, Chuck? So, um, similar, somewhat of a, so, you know, I grew up in this very conservative Christian upbringing, like, uh, like at least three of us did. And I, um, I, I can remember when, so like, so I, I grew up in this double wide trailer um, for a while, um, my mom would go to work and I would stay home. It was like the age, like when I was like, you know, 13, 12, 13, like I could stay home by myself. And for the summers, like my mom would go to work all day. And so I'd be home alone <coughs> during the, during the summer and just, you know, fending for myself, you know, I mean, you know, that kind of thing. And that's when I discovered MTV and VH1. Um, I, I, I discovered music videos and I thought they were super cool and I felt you know, I felt like I was like growing up by discovering this and 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 listening and, and learning that I liked you know music. Um, I was like the first when we got a CD player. I bought my first CDs. My first CDs were um, was um, Weird Al's food album. <clears throat> we have to do a Weird Al episode, by the way. Weird Al's Weird Al's food album. Michael Jackson's history. Those were like my first two records. And then I bought like movie soundtracks and things, the like Jurassic Park soundtrack, um, um, Lion King, things like that. So like, and then. I was into like all for one for a while, like boys to men kind of thing. Um, and um, but then I once I started kind of developing my own music tastes um, through discovering MTV, things started to change for me. So was, obviously this was like past, you know, Kurt Cobain's death. This is after that time. Yeah. Um, but I can remember, you know, alone. You know, by the way, I forgot to mention that, like, and I've, I've said this in the past, I know, but like watching MTV was like verboten. It was like that was something you were not allowed to do in my religious upbringing. 
it was bad it was wrong it was evil it was devilish right so like i had to do this secret like this is a secret thing that i had for many years of my life of just watching music videos and um and i can remember watching and seeing the video for teen spirit for the first time <laughs> and just sort of having this feeling of like what is this because the only rock that I had heard up to that point was, you know, Christian rock. Um, I got into, I mean, the first, what got me into the Christian rock was actually Green Day because I was, um, I was, my, my buddy Josh and I would go to an ice skating rink and they used to play a bunch of pop, uh, popular songs over the, you know, at the ice skating rink. And Basket Case would play and we loved Basket Case. That was such a cool song. I knew I could never own their album. But one day when I was at a Christian bookstore, I was checking out some things and I discovered MXPX, which became one of my favorite bands. And through them, I discovered like a whole world through the Tooth and Nail Records label, like this whole world of different musical genres that just yep. sort of blew my mind. And so I started to, you know, figure out things that I liked. And then I'm also watching MTV on the on the sly. And that was the only way that I could watch, consume secular music. And so, like, I can remember, like, Teen Spirit came on and I was just, like, blown away by this sound and just, like, knew that this was an awesome band. Um, I caught Unplugged, um, you know, one point on, like, a rerun or whatever. And I that to me, I still think that that's the strongest thing Nirvana's put out is their Unplugged session. Um, and... Um, so I was just really into it to the point that when I turned 16 and I got my own car, which um, was a hand-me-down um, Chevy Astro van, um, the first nice. thing I did after I got – I dropped my mom off at her house, at our house, and was going to drive for by myself for the first time. And what I did was I immediately went to the record store at the mall, West Oaks Mall in Orlando, buddy. Oh, yeah. uh, went to the record store, and I bought Green Day's Nimrod. Um Nirvana's Nevermind and one other album I can't remember those are the first like that was the first secular music that I ever bought that I had that I didn't have to like try to hide from someone um and I listened to you know I listened to Nevermind um a few times but it was it was one of those things by that point I just went through to like the 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 hits right like I just went through to Teen Spirit yeah. and um you know Come As You Are things like that and to the point that I never really paid much attention to the record for many, many years, even really up until we listened to it for this time around. And I remember even saying to you the first day, I was like, the songs in my mind, I just remember the songs between the hits not being very strong. Um, I know we'll get into it a bit, but I was very I was I was very much wrong <laughs> uh, yeah. listening to it this time around. But um, but but anyway, just getting back to the main point here that um, what I what I remember about Nirvana, and what I feel about Nirvana was that they they were just they were kind of different in that like even even never having even kind of watching MTV after they had already been a thing i was just from the video of 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 teen spirit i think i was always kind of aware that there was a trailblazer element to who they were and and so i I was just really, I sort of gravitated to that sense of that they were very definitive for a generation. And I, you know, grew up, my cousin Leanne is very much a Gen X person. Like she's sort of tail end of Gen X because she's a few years older than me. Um, but I always was sort of like, I, I always looked up to her and her musical taste as being mature and grown up when I was a teenager. And like Nirvana was something that I know she listened to, yeah. you know? So I, 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 you know, it was, it, it had that element of me participating in something that was older and more grown up, um, than what I, than what I saw around me all the time. Um, and so like, I just think about that and I just think about 
growing up in the mid nineties coming of age in the skateboarding world and all, and all of that stuff that I was into during that time. And just, you know, these are all the sounds and textures and, and aesthetics from, from this very, this very formative part of my life that I, that I, that I have very, very positive and fond feelings for. Um, and I associate them with, you know, independence. This was me becoming my own person and making my own decisions around tastes and other things that I often had to fight for. Um, or I had to hide. Um, and so, um, so those are the feelings that I have with Nirvana. Cool. Uh, Matt. All right. Well, first let me start with this statement. I'm going to take a page from JP's book right now that I just realized the genius of what he's doing. So sorry, JP, but I'm totally calling you out on camera and I'm going to continue to talk, but I'm going to disappear from view for a second. And explain my reason. So hold on. Because okay. I'm still here talking to you. And it's like a magic trick right now. <laughs> but what I just realized. Is He's getting his copy JP of the crow. Is wearing. Sunglasses. And you are my hero right now. Because I am overly aware of where my eyes are. Because I don't know if I should be looking at the camera. Or the person talking. And I'm losing my freaking mind. So JP just saved my life. So forgive me while I put sunglasses on. Okay. And second of all. <laughs> For the sake of me, because I'm the last to go, and for the listener who's probably like, I don't even remember what the heck we're talking about. JP, can you repeat your, your original question? I just want to know what your thoughts are on Nirvana, man. Like, what is your history with them? Like, what is, you know, right. just tell me what you think about Nirvana. So, 100% true story, full disclosure, and not joking because we're on a podcast together and this is the four of us hanging out having fun. My history with Nirvana is I probably wouldn't be as into it as I am if it weren't for JP, who's on the podcast right now. Um, He had very much to do with me listening to it. And it, in a funny way, goes very hand in hand with what we were joking about with his obsession with Crow and with the music in Crow and with making me watch the movie Crow, um, I think, twice together but anyway um Could have sworn he, it was more, but okay he, yeah he, uh yeah actually it was only twice it's anyway. one of those things where it's like matt yeah. is on his way and I'll, i'd have it on. i was like oh i didn't know you'd be here uh, it happens to be on right i now. didn't know you'd be here it's just playing it? in the background do you want to hang yeah. out and watch but, the movie? but um but i probably wouldn't be into nirvana as a band as much as i am if it weren't for him i say that but then i also say I am notorious, and JP knows this for a fact, because out of all the people on this podcast, he's known me for the longest. I am notorious for being absolutely obsessed with songs and not having a clue who's singing them. So I'll be like, for example, I spent probably two years of my life saying I can't stand the band Green Day. I can't stand them. I can't stand them. I can't stand them. But every time a song came on, I was like, oh, I like this. Who's singing it? And somebody would go, oh, that's Green Day. And I was finally like, <laughs> oh, I get it. I like Green Day. I just didn't realize I liked them. Um, so I would have probably been a Nirvana fan if it weren't for JP, but I wouldn't know who they were if it weren't for JP. So that's the way I'll put it, is JP is very influential in my knowledge understanding of who nirvana is what they were doing and why they were doing it um apart from that i will say my experience with them is 
probably going to begin to lead us into other discussions JP wants to lead into, I'm thinking, but I don't know, but I'm just going to say, I will put it this way and I'll leave it at this because everybody else has said it so much better than me. So what I will say is JP said, we're going to do the album. Never mind. Last night was the first opportunity I had to click play and start listening to it. Um, when I clicked play, my immediate reaction was to start texting JP because it's his fault I'm listening to this. And it's also a blessing that I'm listening to this and it's his fault still. So I clicked play and my immediate response was to text him and say, I put Apple AirPod Pros in my ear, which I'm test driving, quote unquote, for my father because he bought them and he's trying to decide which pair he wants to keep these or something else. So I get to be the one to try them out. And by the way, they're awesome. But that's a side note. I said, and I realized that that goes totally against the whole um, fighting against the man theme of everything we're getting ready to listen to with grunge and alternative rock. But I said, but I put them in my ears. I hit play. The guitar riff started. Then I wrote with every word starting capital letter on purpose. And that was, and then the drum kick kicked in. And then all caps, and then the lyrics started. And then I was like, and then I was gone, and nothing else mattered. So I sat there, hit play, started listening, and I was completely 100% caught up from the second it started in the music to a point where I was like, I'm done for the night. I'm sitting right here. I'm listening to this till it's done. And I told JP, I can't wait till I wake up tomorrow to start it over again. And as all of you know, because of our group message, I may or may not have listened to it all the way through three or four times <laughs> since this morning. Um, it is a breeze to get through. I will say I, that. But I click play. Yeah. I, in all honesty, the album flies by quickly, which I was thankful for. And at the same time, upset with, and that about sums up my thought, but here's my last thing I will say, and I'm hoping this will lead into other stuff JP wants to talk about. But the second the music started and the second I started texting him, I said before even track one was done, I told him, Smells Like Team Spirit by itself as one track, which is track one on this album, I said, I would argue that this is the Citizen Kane of music. And what I mean is, for the younger generation, because as Father Fun perfectly draw, drew attention to, we're all old now, sorry guys, <laughs> but we're old and we're getting older. I said, as the younger generation would say, they may or may not have even heard that song all the way through, at least not realize they've heard it, because I'm sure it's played in the background. But they may have never listened to Nirvana. But I said, I would argue that this one song by itself is the Citizen Kane of music, because you may not have heard it, but you've 100% heard it, in the sense that everything you've listened to since that track by itself has come out has been influenced, affected, and changed by the track Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. That entirely shifted the course of music in the same way that Citizen Kane, for those of you, again, younger generation, that's like you keep saying Citizen Kane like I know what it is. 
Um, like the movie Citizen Kane is argued as being the greatest movie of all time, not because it's the best movie ever made, but because nothing we have today would exist if Citizen Kane wasn't made is the same way I would argue that Smells Like Teen Spirit is. And that's only track one on this album. So my experience with Nirvana is I would have loved them, but I never would have known who they were if it weren't for JP. And now that I love them and know who they are and am now, what, 900 years attached from this album because I feel like I'm ancient, um, listening to it again went, yeah, I forgot how much they single-handedly shifted the course of music. Well, Matt, I mean, you think about it, Matt, like, I think that, like, the number one rock single the week before this came out was, like, something by Winger. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, I think, I think Whitney Houston was at the top of the charts when... Who is Winger? But that's a different yeah, but I'm just saying, like, they're, like <laughs> hair metal. Like, hair metal was, like, it was, like, Ooh, jock yeah. rock hair metal type stuff that was, like, all over the charts at that time. And that's what people associated rock music with. Yeah. And it was stale. It was overdone every, you know, and then here come these three kids from Seattle with really crappy speakers play like with the volume turned up way too loud to make this really dirty, ugly sound. And then suddenly that was everything on the radio. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, and I'll, I'll even put it this way. And I realize, again, like I said, grunge and alternative and rock all have this whole, like, fight against the man thing. So even by mentioning this goes against all that. But there's a multi-billion dollar company out there that is striving to exist. And it is called Sirius XM Radio that started as two, formed into two, has become something so much bigger. They have a station that is entirely devoted to grunge and alternative rock. And the name of the station they chose is Lithium. Mm -hmm. And there is not a mistake to believe that they didn't choose the word Lithium because (laughs) it is the title of this album. So I would argue that everything in history shifted in the 90s music-wise because of Lithium. And that's why they chose it. And that's where we're at today. And JP picked it. And I hit play and I've listened to it five times since. Matt, Matt, the album's title is Nevermind. Yeah. Never mind. Lithium. But lithium is one of the songs. So it's... Yeah, one of the songs. <laughs> one of the songs. Um, totally undermined the fact that, again, I wouldn't even know the band's name if it weren't for <laughs> JP. So thanks for drawing attention yeah. to the fact that I 100% confess that and then showed my stupidity. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, guys, let's let's talk about some songs. Um, we could probably skip the first one because it's not very good. It's like filler, basically. Right, right. Um, what? <laughs> I'm just leaving. I'm done. As I was, as I was listening to that one, you know, as it started, I was surprised at how, and I'm very familiar with the song, but like, I was kind of trying to put the album in its time and place, and kind of thinking about, you know, hair metal that came before, and, um, you know, what the future would hold, and I was thinking about, like, what 1991 was like politically, like Gulf War, and. Um, End of the Cold you know, War. The, the dis- yeah, the disaffectedness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, USSR is, you know, falling apart, right? Um, and and just, like, how unapologetic that drum kick is, right? <laughs> like, like, it just kicks off. It doesn't, it doesn't try to soft pedal and, like, try to do any, like, 
we're going to make something that's going to introduce people to what grunge music is and we're going to get them there you know in in a in a comfortable way it's really just like like punch you in the face yeah. you know um, I, I, I was i was i was really shocked by that and I, and, and thankful for it yeah yeah i, I Go ahead. Go oh, go ahead, JP. Well, I was going to say, okay, I love, I, just... I love that the first image in the music video is a is a Chuck Taylor tapping to the beat to the riff, and I'm like, here we go. That's it's it's started. But go ahead. Yeah, it's yeah, because well, so one thing I want to say about the song too is a couple of things. One is it's it's shockingly simple of a song to play on guitar. Like it's a really easy song to play. The 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 main riff is pretty much ripped off from Louie Louie, which I'll get to in a moment. And the the verses is literally two strings. Like you just two strings. Um I remember when I learned to play it, I was blown away at that. And then I realized it's like, oh wow, like this song really needs all the instrumentation, which is a key thing of the song, right? Like so many rock songs are are so so guitar heavy and like that riff, of course, is very timeless and very um um, you, you just know it and, it and it's sort of the main thing behind the song but the song is really really like in its entirety you know the <laughs> bass line and the drums like just it fills it out without all of that it's not the same song um, I, I mentioned before we started or we mentioned last week that um, I really liked Tori Amos's cover of Teen Spirit which she plays on piano what I like about that is you can when you hear her version of it, you can really deter, d- discern the Pixies influence in the song, which I had not really paid much attention to beforehand. It's all throughout um, the album, too. Yeah, right. But then to read that 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 Kurt himself felt that this was a very Pixies esque song, like that's what he was going for. Um, but I wanted to mention something about the Louie Louie thing. Um, I've got this little theory that I've concocted about what makes alternative rock different, um, because, you know, we have rock and we have alternative rock. And genre wise, like you listen to you listen to it, it's not that different, right? You listen to um, Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden and it it's a punk song. I mean, we call it speed metal, but it's basically a punk song. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so this idea that 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 like there's a difference between punk rock and like mainstream rock is, you know, it's sort of a negligible, you know, debatable thing. Um, but my theory is this, is that rock and roll, you can trace its development from um, rhythm and blues and then first the blues, then rhythm and blues and all of that. And that that is all um, that is all an African-American musical idiom that began with um, that began um, with African-Americans, you know, stolen, brought over here um, using Western Europe, Western um, European musical instruments, but from an African musical concept. And so it began to develop into this, um, develop into a, a new sound. Um, Elvis Presley famously stole this sound and made it mainstream. And so, uh, you know, so you've got, you know, white folks taking black music and that's how it, it goes on. Um, and then you've got a straight line from that to um, the kind of like similar kind of thing going on with the folk music that Bob Dylan popularized, which then got its way back to like the Beatles and helped uh, influence the um the, the British uh, rock invasion in the 60s. But there's a straight line that mainstream rock and roll has with its direct connections to black music. 
there is an outlier in all of this, and that is the Kingsman recording of the song Louie Louie. Um, most most alternative rock musicians will tell you that that was the first like garage band, first garage song, right? These this was a group of guys in Washington State that um, were recording outside the mainstream of of of, of music. Um, they recorded the song in like one take in like a junkie studio, um, and um, apparently the guy had to like yell upward into the microphone, and that's why the vocals are indiscernible, which led to a whole thing. But what's interesting about that song is that the guitar riff of that song, which has been used in so many rock, and it's like the basis of punk rock and all this kind of stuff like punk rock is basically the louis louis riff with the bo diddley beat um is that that riff that song was based on a latin american piece of music and so you've got which you know which that is similar kind of thing which is where you have western european but southern european music that has been reinterpreted through um, through the, the the slave paradigm that we had in, in in North America, and so my little theory is that um, alternative rock has a bit of a Latin influence into it, um, that makes it sound just slightly different enough. And that when we're talking about these two things, that's where we're looking at these two um, musical traditions. And um, and as a opening salvo for the alternative rock scene in the in the early '90s, Teen Spirit's great for that because it is drawing on the definitive song of alternative rock. Um, which is the Kingsman Louis Louis. So there's my little rock thesis. Well, it's funny because I, I learned yesterday that um, the first song that Kurt Cobain ever learned how to play was ACDC's Back in Black. Nice. And um, the reason, and the way he was able to teach himself how to play is because he had discovered that Back in Black is, sounds, is just, is just Louis Louis. Mm-hmm. And so it, he would just play Louis <laughs> Louis. That's how he learned how to play Black in Black. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I think with, there's, there's some truth to that to that theory, maybe. Yeah, and it's I mean, you know, there there are definitely bands that are that were out there that were alternative rock beforehand, but they were pretty much relegated to the college radio scene, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you can think of like Pixies, and they were doing a lot with distorted guitars. I mean, you can even think about um, like the Shoegaze, like My Bloody Valentine, and how they were using distorted guitars, but like really low tempo and and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, you know, Nirvana, oh, Smashing Pumpkins, especially with like, yeah. Um, Nirvana, though. I love Smashing Pumpkins. Oh man, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I <laughs> until we decided that we were gonna do favorite bands um, for this year's Music Mayhem, I was so tempted to do um, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. All That'd like three hours episode. of that album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I was even going to be a real, like, really pedantic about it, and like, and uh, like a, a real Charles Boyle esque with it, and like, but do it in the vinyl order because the vinyl order is different than the CD <laughs> order, just to mess with you guys. Um, oh, jeez. But, um, but no, I, but I, but I mean, Team Spirit. I mean, everything that needs to be said has been said about it. I guess you know, ever. Um, yeah, but I wonder how you that, feel. How do you feel? Oh, about it? Yeah. What did it say it, to your that, soul? That drum beat. That dr- that get kick at the beginning is so cathartic. It's just such a like everything like we're ah Patrick's right. I mean it's in your face. There's no like oh we had a pop song and you can start saying oh here's a little distorted buzzy guitar in this pop song or this pop rock song or like yeah. I mean I guess arguably Guns N' Roses was a little grungy for a hair metal band so there's a little bit of a precedent to kind of set the stage but yeah. like this is an opening salvo and for them to put it as the first track, like so many bands I noticed in the nineties, they put like their lead, like their big, their big song as the third track on their record. Yeah. Um, and this was their, this was, this is right out the gate. I mean, it's a thesis statement. It is a, 
it is a you're with us or you're not with us. This is what's happening. And I think that that's what endeared it to so many producers for them to be willing and, and record and, and like radio people to put it on the radio mm-hmm. versus other alternative rock acts of the time, because it it does not pussyfoot around. And it's yeah. just it's ripping off the band aid. This is what we're going to do now in terms of in terms of music. Well, yeah, and and I I have to talk about this track because as much as I absolutely love the album, the truth is this is the single track which I'm I'm a good hopefully I'm a good voice for the audience because um, when it comes to music, I love songs, but my knowledge of bands and history is so lacking it's shameful. Um, like Father Chuck here should write a book on everything he just said, so the follow up after him makes me um want to just not talk anymore but um but i said citizen kane movie wise it's one of the first movies considered the greatest but then i was talking to my wife because i hit play last night and she came down and was talking and because of the headphones and the music i didn't realize she was in the room so she scared the crap out of me when she touched me (laughs) on my shoulder (laughs) like i jumped and hit the roof uh but so she's asking what i was listening to so i started talking and I specifically brought song again. And she's like, yeah, I think I remember that one, which she's our age also um, in same era. I said, well, let me play the beginning for you. I hit play and she's like, oh, I would 1 billion percent remember that song. <laughs> I said, I know you do. And then talking to her, I was like, probably what nails it more on and in line with what Chuck was saying about there's stuff before it and that influences it like uh you said Guns and Roses, right? Kind of laid the stage for them to come in. Don't tell them that. <laughs> a million percent. That there's other bands. There's other bands out there doing things that laid the groundwork for them to do what they did. So probably a more fitting way to put this, and to hopefully put this into context, movies and with their audiences. Um, Smells like Teen Spirit is probably more accurate, accurately described not as the Citizen Kane of music, movie-wise but the matrix of music. There's so much that led up to the matrix being made. But when we sat in the theater and we watched the matrix for the first time and a bullet was shot and Neo leaned back and the world around him slowed down, but he was still moving normal and the bullet went over him and we were all like, what just happened? And everything changed from that point on. And my wife's like, oh, you mean kind of like The Greatest Showman where he's singing a song and everybody jumps up in the air and they kind of freeze and they're going down really slow while he's walking through them singing. And I was like, exactly. That shot in The Greatest Showman probably wouldn't exist tricks didn't create bullet time. Well, um, you know... When I listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit, like I, I definitely hear, you know, not literally an anthem, but what could be an anthem of, of a generation kind of finally clapping back, right? Fighting back or, or finally having their voice heard louder than anybody else around them. Like, here's a generation that's <laughs> characterized by being ignored. You're not ignored anymore. And my favorite lyric... And the entire song that I think is sort of climactic. And we're talking about the song that like, you know, it's opening a salvo. It's, it's the loud, now it's the loudest, it's the loudest voice at the time 
uh, you know, it's it's tearing down walls. My favorite lyric is at the climax to my the climax of the song, "Oh well, whatever, never mind." Gen X energy right there, just summed up. And you know, Kurt would never say it's like Kermit. That. It, yeah, it's it's Kermit the Frog drinking his tea, yeah. right? It's <laughs> oh well, whatever, never mind. It's like I get to be at the top of the world. And I can get to say yeah. Which is like yeah. a dream. Like it, it's that, it's that part of that dream of like wanting to be a billionaire and just driving a Volvo, right? Like I'm gonna have all the power in the world. And I'm just not gonna do anything with it. You know, that was right. Show. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's just we talk about how how dirty it is, and uh, you know, their their overall sound is and stuff. But you know, when when you think about it, it's like it, there, there's it's it's anarchic, but it's there is so much focus behind it, right? Like mm-hmm. Kurt is, is a very folk. He's a surgeon with that guitar, um, and it's all. It's. Just... I mean, literally, literally a surgeon with the guitar. I mean, I've, have you ever like looked at the technical specs of his guitars? It's like a left-handed, right? It's a left-hander that he that he holds upside down or something, right? Or no, well, no, no, no. He's he left-handed. left-handed. Yeah, he plays right. left-handed, and it's a righty guitar, so he holds it upside but down. But all of his guitars were um, pawn <clears> shop. <throat> pawn shop and thrift store purchases that he like Frankenstein together by taking like pickups and other and bridges and pieces from others and putting them together. I mean, his like, it's, it's such a technical thing. Like a lot of punk rock, you know, punk bands are sort of like, you know, we're, we're, we're DIY. We do it ourselves. But that, that meant just like buying really crappy instruments and, and just playing them till they broke. Like Kurt actually took care in what he what he did. I mean, one of the only, one of the most notable guitars that he owned was his electric acoustic that he used in Unplugged, which apparently is this like super rare guitar that only like 150 had ever been made. But like he had no idea that it was a super rare, valuable guitar. He probably picked it up because it, it looked funky because it had tuning knobs on the outside of the sound box, which a lot of acoustic guitars don't have. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you you hear that you know everything is and that's i guess some people can be disillusioned with that with them is that this was very strategic and calculated oh yeah yeah yeah. this actually wasn't this really wasn't whatever never mind yeah um, i think people think of like Kirk Cobain. oh he threw trash on the wall and called it art no 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 like, no no, no. The, the, he's he's super talented <laughs> you know right well and um and um I mean, you get that with later songs, and we're going to get to "Breed," which is a song I really want to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because you're, you're, there's so many layers of musical influence that are that are in this, and they're filled. But you just if if all you hear is a guitar distortion, you don't pick up on it. And that's sort of the genius of this is that it's taking this like it, he's taking this very this very like it's 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 sort of a rock education, but it's being filtered through like this distortion sound that you don't immediately pick up on. So the genius is actually as you start really paying attention to it, yeah. which is kind of the amazing thing about this band. Yeah, go ahead. Before we move on, I I need to sign off and say bye. Oh, um, I will uh, I will see you all later and let me know Just, what the next album is. All right, Father Fun, thank yes, you so much always. for joining us. Uh, good yes. journey, my friend. Peace, guys. See you as well. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything to say about Emblem? Um, it has the unfortunate uh, distinction of um, existing between Team Spirit and Come As You Are. Yeah. <laughs> I love Emblem because it reminds me of those kids who made fun of me. Um, because I feel like if yeah, they that's... actually were Nirvana fans and actually respected Kirk Cobain, they wouldn't make fun of the fat kid. That's like... Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> I what Chuck said is perfect. 
because JP just nailed the amazing impact of that song. And Father Chuck just perfectly nailed why none of us remembered that song. <laughs> that song was on the album to begin with. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry, but sorry. Carry on. That's my input. Now the two of you have just finished what you're saying. Well, I mean, I don't have too much to say. I just, I just like it because that's what it makes me feel. It makes me think of those kids who picked on me. It makes me think of my friend who had that 14 karat gold version of Nevermind, which probably I think if Kurt like knew about that, he probably would have fainted. So, like, the reason why it reminds me of the kids who made fun of me and my friend with the 14 karat gold copy is uh, because you know it's. You know the the lyrics of um, he's the one who likes all, all of our pretty songs. He likes to sing along. He likes to shoot his gun, but he knows not what it means. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think that you know to me that is just about people who kind of misconstrue what they're doing, what they're about. What I what I really appreciate about Nirvana is they really kind of kicked off this thing of like really expecting authenticity mm-hmm. and really i mean like dylan and others had done that before but there was this you know this whole thing around like if you're gonna listen to our music but like ignore what we're about like that's there's an inconsistency there and you know for their second album the second track off their second album to basically give sort of like a middle finger to like the record industry because i mean that's basically what that song sounds like to me yeah um is is a very like audacious thing to sort of be like, you know, you want this, you want to do all this stuff, but you don't think about any of it. Right. So it's starting to challenge you to think about that kind of stuff. I mean, it was, it's almost kind of like several years later when Eminem released his, when he released the, um, his second album and opened up with the whole, like, you know, just really calling, calling out his fans for being like obnoxious. Yeah. Um, which was what endeared Eminem to me. Um, you know, this was like, you know, this is a thing that we saw in the 90s that I really appreciated um, that, that push toward authenticity and to actually pay attention to the things you're doing. Um, so, so yeah, that's in bloom. Um, come as you are. Yeah, I do want to say about I'll come just... as you are. Um, I think it has the most killer solo. Mm-hmm. Out of, out of, maybe, I don't know out of the entire album, but I, I, I definitely know it for its solo. Which I think it's kind of funny. It's sort of a sin in punk rock to have a solo in your song, and you know they come from punk. Um, but I don't know. What do you think, Chuck? About "Come as You Are." Well, I do. I do kind of like that. It, I mean, it's an interesting song, right? Because the the sentiment behind it is for is sort of what the alternative rock scene was all about. Was that it was we're music for the people that are not part of the mainstream. Hmm. Come as you are, not you know, you know. There's also a bit of irony, right? Come as I want you to be, or whatever. But like. There, there, there's a, there's this idea behind it that it shouldn't be. That is, again, it's a song. It's about authenticity. At least that's the, that's the sense that I get from the song. Interesting follow up to and, him, Yeah, and, and it, but at the same time, right? Like there's that whole '90s thing, right? Of tolerance. Like we got to tolerate. You know, just you know, tolerate each other. But I remember the, the key question that was once asked years later, which was like, well, can you tolerate the intolerant? Right? Like there comes an element where where does where's the limitations of this and i guess like that's where on one hand like it's a, it captures this ethos it was really big for the grunge scene for the alternative rock scene about sort of trying to embrace all these people that are different right you know kurt himself playing for an aids benefit con or for nirvana playing for an aids benefit concert for kurt you know as a kid you know being friends with gay kids and and yeah. even like accepting the fact that you know people considered him gay because he hung out with a gay kid and just didn't care you know but 
at the same time, there's like this piece of like, you know, they were making fun of Axl Rose um, yeah. at the at the MTV Movie Award or the Music Award, the, the Video Awards or whatever. Yeah. There's there's this element of like where there's an aesthetic line, right? Like you're this is where you're 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 come as you are, right? We want you to be like this, but but if you show up wearing football pads and are a jock, like I don't I don't know if we really want you to come as you are. We kind of <laughs> want you to. Like you're, you're, you know, there's a sense that because you're that you're not authentic. Yeah. You're only authentic when you look the way we look. So I, I, so that's, that's a thing that goes in the back of my mind when I think about all of, all of the grunge era and all of even Nirvana and all of that, that there were, you know, you know, Kurt and other others were struggling with the limits of this stuff even early on. Yeah. Um, I, I like what you said about how it's sort of kind of like opening up kind of like a welcome people to like a scene. You know, I kind of look yeah. at it as so like come and listen to us, kind of like a Pied Piper thing. But now I'm thinking, oh, it's kind of like opening oh, people like listen, to, come to listen to alt alt rock, listen to grunge, listen to punk, like you know, be part of this section of music, right? Because, because it, I mean, because rock it takes music takes you as you as who you are, right? I mean, think about it, like rock music by that point was largely the the in, possessed by the by the jocks, right? It was yeah. possessed by the villains in like Pretty in Pink, right? I mean. I mean, like you know that is the best example but yeah. like pretty in pink right the rich kids are listening to hair metal and have that kind of look to them you know it's ducky and the misfits that are listening to like new wave yeah drinking right? beers so, riding motorcycles hot girls dancing like yeah yeah like that's the that's like the rock scene and then you've got you know and that's but now you've got this other musical scene out there that's of course coming from like the college educated types and and all of that and now like there's this <laughs> sense that this is you know this is what this is what the real, the real, the real authentic, true people, not the sheep, you know, they're, they're, you know, sheep listen to this corporate music. Right. And this became the thing that, I mean, I, I know for, I, I know for me was, and still is sometimes like a definitive obsession of like being afraid of being called a poser. Oh yeah. And I'm, I, I, and, I'm up all night thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, it is kind of interesting that like I remember like Keelan <laughs> I wish Patrick were here because I hear I'm talking about Keelan. Um <laughs> remember Keelan once made a comment. We were at the mall we were at the mall together and um a group of uh, a group of goth kids were walking around and they all looked alike. And Keelan made this joke, he was like he was like, Oh, you're gonna you know, you, he's like, Oh, I'm an individual, but I look just like everyone I everyone else I hang out with. Right. Like, and I've just thought about that over the years, over all of this. Right. Because in the 90s, like, oh, I'm an individual. Don't, you know, don't judge me. Don't tell me how to dress. But you're going to just dress like all these other people that you hang out with. So, like, well, you're, you're still forming in, well, in a way. We just we had the wrong idea about them. It wasn't about being an individual. It was about belonging to a community. I'm an individual within right. a community. You know? Right, 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 right. Um, and yeah. And, and, and so I think that. So I think that, you know, that there's all this baggage that's behind, you know, all of this and the song kind of touches on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I realize if we go track by track, we're going to take forever. Yeah, I know. I wasn't yeah, going to. But, 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 but go I got to say before you before you move on to the next one and stop going track by track because I'm going to run out of time. But I do have to say this song to me in a weird way perfectly fits a conversation we were having about Kurt Cobain to begin with about the concept of like I don't think he wrote his lyrics to be dissected and mm -hmm. studied and broken down and what does it really mean um, I think he wrote them just for how did it make you feel 
but then you hit this particular song to me that's so simple there's like very few words in the song as a whole it's so simple and yet this is probably the one that i could write like my dissertation on break on what because it's so simple and yet so complex and it's confusion about be who you are but be who we want you to be um and then the end of it just makes no sense by the way i don't have a gun like it doesn't make a sense. It doesn't make sense. And yet means so much at the same time. Yeah. So this is the one song on the album out of all of them that I feel like this is the one we could have spent a whole episode on trying to, what do we think he was saying, whether he knows it or not, this is the one track out of all of them as simple as it is that just like rocks my world from the beginning when it says, come as you are, as you were, but as I want you to be. The second that line is is stated, I, I can't even describe to you how I was like totally caught up in this song and totally lost in like this understanding of, yeah, what is this back and forth paradox dichotomy, like fighting against yourself, trying to be an individual, but joining in, we accept you, but only if you're like us, like this whole thing, I was just lost in it. And this is the one song that, I'm not going to keep going on, but this is the one song that I could not talk about without attempting to like break down what the heck was he saying when these lyrics were put together, because there is a depth hidden there that I don't even think he necessarily intended in this one song, but it shows such a broken split understanding of how individual how do I accept people as individuals? And yet we all understand that I want you to be allowed to be yourself and expect me to be okay with that. If you're not somewhat like me, like this song rips all of those apart. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm not going to dive into it, but carry on. I mean, I, I feel like when I listen to it, I'm just like, okay, I'll come. I'm not going to worry about whether or not I fit or not. Like, yeah. I'll, okay. Yeah. You're like, come as you are. Okay. Done. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that's probably, what uh, you, probably as you are. Okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and it's funny you mentioned the, the gun part. Cause that strikes me too. But I, I feel like to me, that's like, I'm, it's like, I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. I'm not going to hold a gun to you. You know, interesting that three songs in a row, he talks about guns, right? Teen Spirit, load up on guns, bring your friends. In Bloom, he talks about he likes to shoot his gun, doesn't understand why. And in this one, I don't have a gun. And, you know, a little, hey, 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 <laughs> bing, anecdote time. Um, Kirk Cobain's parents divorced when he was very young. And uh, his dad, not not a nice person, just just walked out <laughs> on his mom. And his mom right. was so angry that what, he, what she did was she got all of his guns his dad's guns and threw them into the river to get back to him, to get back at him. And so Kurt went and got a guy and he paid him a couple of bucks to help him fish out all the guns from the river. And he sold those guns to buy his first guitar. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's psychological layers right there, man. Yeah. Also, I was going to say, turns out, you know, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt did have a gun. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Breed. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so let's get into breed because I, I'm I'm excited because this is this is like you said in, in the messenger Chuck that you were like 
you know, the ones after like the kind of the hits, they just kind of fall off, get kind of dull, but then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, breed <clears throat> kicks in. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, it was one of the. I was driving home. It was actually right after, right after leaving recording last week. I was driving home, and I was like, I'll put on Nirvana as I'm driving home and start listening to it. And I was like, that's when I was like, oh, in Bloom played, and I was like, I mean, it's an okay song, but man, like this is, it just doesn't have, you know. And then because it's, you know, between the two hits, and then Breed came on. I'm like, oh, right. They're actually a really good band. Um, what I love about Breed, and I think I, I one uh, Breed to me is probably more than Teen Spirit, a thesis statement on what grunge is. If um, if you if you if someone's like, what is grunge? Play them Breed, and then talk to them about it. Because what what alternative rock was was um, and the grunge, well, grunge in particular. Well, let's, let's talk about grunge. Okay, so what grunge is is that grunge is a post-punk musical genre. The um, the people who liked it hated the term grunge, but it was a marketing term that was developed. Um, what by Sub Pop Rep- Records, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, and it was um, basically post-punk. These are these are musicians that had um, been a part of the punk scene that was big in like Minnesota and in um, and in um, Northern California and in the Washington area. And they started using punk sensibilities, but slowing down the tempo. And so they're basically playing punk music, but slower, mm-hmm. um, which gets it into blues-esque territory. Um, and so, but what, what's also happening with this is they're incorporating, um, they're incorporating musical styles from other genres into it. And Breed is a perfect example of this because it has, as a sort of bridge, a surf guitar riff. That if you don't if you if you don't really pay much attention to it, you don't catch it because it's so distorted. But if you're listening to the way Kurt is playing that, he's absolutely playing surf guitar, which is um, a, qui- a, a style of guitar playing that was um, pioneered by a guy named Dick Dale, um, which involves playing um, really quick a loose pick between like two or three strings. So you get this like yeah, the Pulp Fiction theme. Yeah. Yeah, that was a sound that Kurt Cobain, by the way, developed as a way to or, sorry that a Dick Dale developed as a way to sound like uh, jungle animals. Um, and so, um, and so like you have all of these sort of obscure fallen away musical genres being filtered through this particular audio technique of ultra distortion. Um, so you've got a little bit of punk, a little bit of surf guitar, you've got, you know, all of that. And so that's really what, this is what grunge is, is grunge is all of these different musical influences in this particular package totally. and breed captures it perfectly. Um, also a bit of metal thrown in. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, like when Kurt Cobain, what he made a comment that he said that they wanted this album to sound like, what was it? Like the kinks were molested by black Sabbath. <laughs> um, Sounds about right. that's this, this song, this song is that it is, it is, it is, you know, West coast rock, like sixties rock and roll filtered through, 1970s you know metal sounds basically yeah definitely and, and it's I, I definitely have always been kind of like uh affected by the metal aspect of it because of how much they were kind of going against metal um mm. but you know he he loved black sabbath and he loved uh led zepp so it's something that yep. was kind of old school metal in there uh so matt <laughs> unfortunately uh we're losing matt um but before you go, is there like uh, a particular song you want to talk about, or an aspect of the of the album, or anything you want to kind of drop some I, um, drop some science on? 
because this album, in my opinion, has such a major effect on music, I will also say it drastically highlights how majorly unprepared I am to have a discussion about music with the two of you. Okay, well then let me just <laughs> because, ask you this because this is the point. Because, because I'm like, what? Well, this is the this, that's the point uh, that I'm trying to make of, of how we're approaching this. I want to know. I just want to know how you feel, buddy. Tell me how I know, this album why, made you feel. That's where I was going to go with this. I was okay. going to say, I'm totally unprepared to have a music discussion with the two of you. <laughs> so here's what I will say and how I will put it. I clicked play last night to start this song. The guitar riff kicked in. I was done. I listened to the album beginning to end. I would have listened to it more, but I had other, you know, I got to go to bed. I got to wake up early. So I woke up to start work. And I may or may not have listened to it four times in a row (laughs) throughout the day, just nonstop this album. What I will say is this album, listening to it takes me back as a 36 year old, a person born around that era. It takes you back to a place where you were that it's like, I can only describe it as like, almost like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe Nirvana, (laughs) (laughs) like this feeling of just being completely lost in it. Elevated guitar riff kicks in. It's like you're yes, you're taken up to another level. Everything else was forgotten. And especially right now, JP, I have to applaud you. Can we just take a moment to applaud JP, whether Chuck wants to or not, he can just forget it. But applaud JP and the fact that during a, no, you don't have to applaud yet. I haven't made my point. (laughs) But during a global pandemic, when the world is lost and like, what the crap are we doing? Some of us are like, you got to open the economy back up because things need to get better. Some of us are like, you need to stay in your home for the next 70 years because it's important. In the midst of all of this chaos and confusion and like anger and frustration and trying to figure out what the heck is going on because we've never had anything like this. JP picks an album that I click play and I forgot about all of that while the <laughs> album was playing to beginning or end. My only argument, the only thing I wanted to write him and send like the text equivalent minus an emoji, the verbal text equivalent of a middle finger is it wasn't long enough because <laughs> I was gone and I wanted to stay gone. Don't bring me back. I wanted it to keep going. Um, this album has influenced things in ways that I don't even think I realize. No matter what genre you're listening to, with a few exceptions of stuff that literally didn't exist years ago because of technology and things we have now, like electronic dance music didn't exist back then, so I don't know how much you can connect that to this. But with the exception of what technology brought into existence, everything else you're listening to was touched on by this, whether you know it or not. And by clicking play on it, I was immediately taken back to a more simplistic time when I was like, this is what I think. This is why I think it. And I'm going to listen to my music and I don't care if you like it or not. And it immediately took me back to a world where things like COVID-19 and global pandemics didn't matter. It was just, who do I want to be? Why do I want to be that person? And how do I tell the world this is who I am? And it didn't matter what the world said back. This is who I want to be. This is how I'm going to get there. 
and this is who I am. Deal with it. And that's what this took me back to. And I just, I shut. I was lost to the point where my wife almost gave me a heart attack when she touched my shoulder to tell me, by the way, the kids are in bed and you missed it. <laughs> so just saying, um, that's my final thoughts on this is JP perfect pick during this to the like point it. where I have already warned JP that he's going to ask eventually what our choices are. And I said, I'm going to pick this one again, figure out how to do that. <laughs> um, so, That'd be pretty funny. So, um, perfect pick, perfect timing. You nailed it with everything going on for people who haven't heard it yet. Go listen to it. I understand if you've never heard it before, I understand it's not going to have the impact on you, but you'll appreciate after hearing this, how the reason it doesn't is because everything you've heard since then has influenced it. So you feel like you've already heard this before right, right, right. and that's okay. That's my point for those of you who grew up with it and it's been a while, go click play and I promise, go click play, put a pair of headphones on, turn it up so that you don't hear anything around you, and you will not regret it. The world is gone from the time the first song starts till the time the very awkward that I'll let the two of you talk about six-minute song. <laughs> and it was just a perfect, I was gone, I didn't care. And it was the escape I wanted while also bringing me back to just so many thoughts, memories, and things. that It was just great timing. So thank you, JP. I appreciate your choice. And I'm also glad that unfortunately I have to sign off, but I'm glad I get to do so before you ask me my choice because I don't know how the heck I'm supposed to follow that up. So <laughs> goodbye. I enjoy. <laughs> Keep talking. Love good, you guys. Good journey. Good Max. journey. To our, to our audience, good journey. And I will leave the two of you to wrap it up. So All see right, you dude. later. See ya. Good journey. Okay, so like I, I really love Lithium. Great song. Um, I think it might be like my favorite song on the album. As sort of as just sort of like a personal choice, and um, you know, to me, I just the uh, the song just feels like it just it's just like a representation of repression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like Lithium is sort of is it's prescribed to like people with bipolar disorder, right? Is that is that kind of mm-hmm. Right. I think so, so. So it's probably it's it's. I mean, you know, if we wanted to get analytical, but he's probably talking about like mental uh, disorders that he's probably dealing with and stuff. You know, going to the doctor and psychologist and things like that. Um, but you know, to me, it's just like it's a great representation of of someone who is repressing themselves, repressing what makes them happy, repressing all these different feelings, and almost not so much. Um, and what's what's interesting about it is that it's not just represented in the lyrics. It's, it's kind of geniusly represented in in the sound too. Because even though you know this is grunge, this is like post punk stuff. It's it's like weirdly kind of do 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 like a, like you can yeah. go la 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 like it is kind of like a like an upbeat. You know, it shouldn't be that upbeat, but because of the nature of, of the genre we're in, it definitely is sort of like a representation of of, of repression. Like you're oppressing the the grunge by making it sound like almost like a nursery rhyme kind of thing. Like I'm okay, right. we're okay, everyone's okay. Yeah, it's very sing songy, and it's also, if I remember reading about it, this is the one that he started writing some of the lyrics based off of his experience of living with a born again Christian family. Yes, 
Yeah. Um, which, of course, for like our podcast is an important topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that sense of him like seeing religion as a kind of opiate type thing, like right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, light my candle because you know, um, I'm trying to remember was it um, light my candle uh, in a daze because I found God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sense of of seeing, you know, religion as just you know, like, or that, or maybe not saying, maybe it's not a statement about religion in general, but like his experience of some people with religion. Yeah, he had that, nothing really against religion in general. He thought that like if if you know you need religion, then you should you should use it. Um, he yeah. wasn't particularly religious himself, but he was tolerant of it, you know, because that that's the kind of guy he was. So, but by the way, interesting that interesting that for him to kind of give that impression because you know. Um, you know, he, he famously did the, you know, Jesus don't want me for a sunbeam. Yeah. Um, he, um, um, he covered lead belly and one of the songs of lead bellies that he covered that, um, I don't know if there's any recordings of it, but he covered was, um, um, he never said a mumbling word, which is about Jesus being silent in the face of, um, pilot. It's a blues song, blue, old blues standard. Um, and there's also his cover of Lake of fire and his, uh, unplugged. Right. Right. So, I mean, he's got, he's got like, there's a lot of, I mean, obviously the name of the band is a religious name. Um, You know, so it is, it is interesting to me that this is a thing that's always sort of danced around with him. I mean, apparently he was, he he considered himself a born again Christian for a brief brief period of time um, when he lived with that family. And I could see like, where like the kind of person he is, like he takes it like really strongly, right? Like this happens to a lot of born again people, right? They get, they, they get born again. They get this lot of energy around it. And then suddenly like, uh, it fades out and it becomes empty. And they realize that it's, it's, it's sort of a lot of people are using it as a, as medication, it's a type of medication. So it's, it's fitting that he would talk about it in a song entitled lithium because he had the perception of people using religion as a sort of medication thing. Mm-hmm. And that, the larger story of, of his music and his lyrical stuff and just other things about him is this search, which we saw a lot of Gen X is a search for authenticity and truth. And that religion maybe could offer that, but unfortunately a lot of religious adherents don't seem to recognize that. Um, And so it really kind of, you know, pushed a lot of Gen X and others to, and I guess I would actually argue more our generation you know, we saw Gen X sort of get, throw their hands up and give up, but the rest of us were like, wait, no, 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 there's merit in this stuff. Like, there's truth in it. You just, we just lost it. We just got to recapture it. Yeah. Um, and, and, it uh, and it's funny because, you know, I think of this song now and it, it, it makes me think of social media. And it's interesting that you, you kind of brought up religion being the opium of the masses because, you know, that's a, that's a Marxist theory. Yeah. But I, I feel like, and, you know, people kind of bring that up towards, like, Christians who might identify as Marxists or, or who like his writings. And they'll bring that up, what do you think about that? I was like, well, I think maybe he was correct at the time, but not today. I don't, I don't think religion is an opiate today. But we do have opiates, and, and I think social media is that. Like, I think of this song, and it just, when you when you look at people on social media, what is it? Everyone's happy. Everyone yep. has this idyllic life, you know? You know? I, can I just say I like that we're talking about this? Yeah. Because maybe this maybe this could be a separate episode sometime. But like, right? Okay. So when we think of the '90s and we think of like that great Portlandia bit, the dream of the '90s is alive in Portland. You know, like <laughs> yeah. when we think of that, right? That was that was the sort of thing that was kicked off by the alternative music scene, mm-hmm. and kicked off this whole idea. Right? Again, the come as you are. Right? We're going to tolerate each other, and like. 
that same ethos was around because the internet was a was a burgeoning a, a burgeoning thing, and so like the internet was coming out, and this whole idea, this idyllic idea of the internet, right? There's that great meme that's floating around right now of Bill Gates being like, imagine what people are going to be using their computers for in 30 years, and then you know somebody shows something like ludicrous uh, next to it. Yeah. Um, but you know there was this thing that like, oh, we're going to finally envision this dream of people, you know, basically. The internet's going to be like this global coffee house where people of different ideas and ideologies are going to come together and we're just going to share and understand and we're going to hear each other and, and, and all of that. And now here we are 30 years after the fact or more, and we're talking about social media, which is basically a distillation of all of this 90s idealism, what the internet could be. Yeah. And it's either completely fake. It fosters a ton of depression. Mm-hmm. And the thing I thought about is, is that it's not encouraging right now, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, right? This time where we need encouragement from one another is the best we can. All Facebook is, is people shaming one another, yeah. preaching and pontificating at one another, telling each other how you're wrong to believe this or do that or whatever. Right. It's like, or constantly reassuring a, that I'm okay. I have a great life. Is, do you have a great life? Yeah. Is there, are you okay too? Yeah, there's no there. Yeah, it's it. So it's interesting that there's still, still this thing, right? That there's, you know, everyone, everyone has sort of found their lithium. Yeah. Um. And you know, we're just gonna keep on. You know, I'm not gonna quit. Yeah, and it's it's it happens as as you know it becomes more corporatized. You know, as as we have right. fewer spaces to go through to go to you know we have facebook we have twitter we have netflix i guess <laughs> you know it's getting smaller and smaller by the minute and these people are making more and more money i mean i i would love i you know god can you imagine like kirk cobain today like in this day and age of the, of the internet and stuff like i i, I visited for the, i never i don't know why i never thought of this before but i visited nirvana's twitter page today there's an official nirvana twitter page and it's oh, just no. like it's just retweeting people. Like, I mean, and it's it's cute, you know, retweeting like kids playing Nirvana songs and stuff, and like, oh, the Kirk Cobain was mentioned in this magazine. Uh, Chris Novoselic is uh, doing this with this band, and uh, I'm like, oh man, this is like, I don't know, I we're, we're in a bad well, timeline. We're in a bad time. <laughs> well, think about right, like, okay, Dave Grohl goes off and he makes Foo Fighters, and Foo Fighters is a very pop rock band, right? Like, they're very radio friendly kind of thing. Um, now they weren't when they started but they are now um and that's dave i mean dave just seems like a pretty happy kind of guy he, he was uh, always, yeah yeah he was always wanting to be a rock star from the beginning you know yeah um but i think about right like according to michael stipe of rem kurt and him were starting to have conversations about what nirvana's next album was going to be after in utero and they were thinking about going in a completely different direction that was a more that was more akin to unplugged and which, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to visit that timeline. Um, because, you know, he would have, I think he would have pissed off his fans. I think, you know, because he was constantly, he was constantly trying to defy this, 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 this being captured, this, this being contained. And, you know, I, I think, I think that, you know, because, you know, the story behind Unplugged is, of course, the MTV music, you know, the MTV executives are, furious that he's not that his set list doesn't include anything from yeah from nevermind um and that he's got like meat puppet songs and lead belly covers <laughs> and, and david bowie know, and david bowie 
and you know he's got Pat Smear up there. I mean, it's it's just it's such a fascinating thing to read the back the, the backstory of that, and that he was just not going to give in. He was going to do what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. and and he used they used Unplugged as a forum to do something really beautiful and unique musically. Yeah, and um, and defy and defy expectations and convention and. And so I think like if Kurt were still around, you know, we all either either he would have just, you know, he would have ended up angering people enough that he just sort of went off and just did his own thing and was just sort of quiet for a while. Um, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, Or Perry Farrell. I mean, what's Perry Farrell doing these days? I don't know who that is. You know what Perry Farrell? Jane's Addiction? Porno for Pyros? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, JP. I know. Oh, JP. Oh. Anyway, um, but um, but yeah, I I think that I think that it would have been very. I mean, it would be very interesting to see what the world would be like if Kurt had not ended his own life, and um, or did he? Um, I want to get to that. By the way, well, let's get to that. We're running out of time. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah, let's. I'm circling back. The reason why, I don't know if I made this clear enough when I was kind of going through my sort of relationship with Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. The reason why I stopped believing that is because I think, like I said, obsessing over that was me sort of taking away, not acknowledging his pain and not acknowledging that depression is real and that I may even have that connection with him. Not that I'm suicidal like you was or anything like that. <laughs> um, you don't have a crippling heroin addiction, right? Which which was used to self medicate an awful stomach irritable bowel yeah. syndrome that he had that was like deathly painful for him. Which, by the way, some people speculate was caused or at least exacerbated by the fact that he played guitar left handed. Really? If he had played guitar, yeah, I, I read this years ago that if he had if he had because. Apparently he was sort of ambidextrous mm-hmm. and um, he elected to learn to play guitar left-handed because he thought it was more of a challenge than to try to learn right-handed. Huh. And so he chose early on to get a left-handed guitar and to learn left-handed and became a left-handed guitarist. But apparently like the, the posture you take when you play left-handed with like where his condition was in his intestine, like mm-hmm. that puts more strain on that side. And that basically like if he had played right-handed, he would probably not have had nearly the intestinal discomfort That's and the crazy. desire to self-medicate with heroin that he ended up having. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. Yeah. Well, you know, gosh, that's so, that'd be tragic if it's true. Um, I mean, it's all tragic anyway, but, but like I was saying, like, a, you know, me kind of coming to terms with the, like, this is just a stupid conspiracy theory. It's just, you know, the, the conspiracy theory is that Courtney Love killed Kirk Cobain. Right. Um, but like, if you if you just kind of look at Kurt, which her dad perpetuates of all people, so, my gosh, it's so weird. I mean, it's it's all it's ah. all stemming from like sexism, though. It's the same reason why people hate Yoko Ono, you know. Um, yeah, Courtney Love wasn't a Yoko Ono, Yoko Ono character. Like, the, she That's hated Dave Grohl. Everybody music, hated. Listen to Hole. Hole is much better than anything Yoko Ono ever put out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, she wasn't, like, dividing the band or anything. And like I said, like, she feuded with Dave Grohl, but, like, Dave Grohl, like, feuded with everybody. <laughs> um, so, like, it, 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 um, but, like I said, sort of, 
I guess dwelling on the conspiracy theory, it just took away from. It was like I was ignoring that this pain exists, and it's like it's okay to, it's okay to acknowledge that yes, he was suicidal. He was battling horrible mental problems. He was also battling a horrible drug addiction and horrible physical pain, and these all contributed to one another. And um, and to also accept that is to also accept that Nirvana is not just sad music, right? Um, you know, we've like you said, like we, you know, he doesn't want people to just read into the lyrics. It just, you know, come up with your own meaning if you have to, because they're also like a very funny group of people. They're hilarious. Yeah. There's a lot of humor in in this in the music as well. Um, and it's like I said, it just became like, no, these are people that like know what I'm going through, and they can give me something to do until the weather clears. And um, so, yeah, if you believe well, it's an empathy can... piece, right? It's an empathy piece. It lets yeah. you know that there are other people that feel that are feeling what you feel. Right. And I think it's interesting, you know, people, we keep saying that he was, you know, this like voice of a generation. He was a, a prophet of Gen X and stuff. But, you know, as the saying goes, he didn't want to be any of that. He just wanted right. to make good music. And these are his words. We want to make good music. And if we get popular along the way, that's fine. And, you know, of right. course, coming from that, once he did get popular, there were certain fantasies that came up. He did say at one point, he, and Courtney Love says this in an interview in the movie that I watched. He said that, like, his fantasy after, like, Nevermind came out was that he's like, I want to make $3 million and become a junkie. Okay. Because that's, I mean, <laughs> like I said, it's that idea that, like, I'm going to be a top of the world. And when I get to the top of the world, I'm just going to be like, eh, throw it all away. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be corrupted. Well, like, I'm not going to be, you know, controlling. I'm not going to turn to these rock gods. Well, there's that there's that story, right, of how he, you know, he got there's a huge fight between him and Courtney when she came home with like a BMW or a Mercedes or something. And he like really made her take it back. I didn't know about that. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. He like had this whole thing about that. Like there's another good story, too. I heard about him where uh, he was at a concert and um he 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 jumped in with the crowd and was crowd surfing and in the process of that um someone stole his shoe hmm. or both of his shoes off his feet next night he's at um next night he's at uh rehearsal they're warming up you know are doing sound checks and one of the engineers sees that he has just socks on and he was like oh you barefoot or what he was like oh no they stole my shoes last night he was like <laughs> You know you're a millionaire, right? <laughs> like you can go buy a new pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like those kinds of stories about him are are, are really fascinating because, you know, it, to see some and, and I guess like that hits that ideal for a lot of us, right? Like, you know, for me, like if I were ever, you know, if I dream about if I were ever a millionaire, like I like the things I would love to do is to be able to like give money to like my family or like to be able to just use the money to help people. Cause I've just, I, I always think it's cool. Like when people can do stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, there's always the fear that money corrupts you and yeah. that you don't actually do the stuff you say you want to do, but there is that dream, right? Like I, I get it. What you're saying, like that sense of like, I'm gonna make it on top. I'm gonna make all this money, but I'm just gonna completely defy expectations. Like I'm not going to live right. Like <laughs> just random thought was, um, MTV cribs, right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that, I think it's red man, the episode with red man where they go visit his house and he's like actually like in, in Compton in like a house in the hood nice. where the doorbell is actually, he has to touch two wires together to get the doorbell to work. And he shows all of his video game systems and they're just in a pile next to his bed. Like they're not <laughs> like, 
I just I love that episode. And I don't know if it's a joke, but it's it's so it's so fascinating to see here's this guy, you know, millionaire, you know, dude. Yeah. Um keeping it real. Absolutely. Now, yeah, and I yeah, that's who he was. And you know and the and the big thing that sort of it makes even sadder is that you know he was able to have a child with Courtney Love, Francis Bean, right? And that's when it everything was gonna really change for him. You know, you read you can read it in his journals and his music is that once she was born, he's like, I you know th- that three million dollar junkie fantasy just like went away because he wrote in his journal things like you know now that I have a child, whenever I see like a starving child in Africa on TV, I I cry. Like if I just see or or like a, a child crying, I'm like I'm, I'm I'm in pain. Like that's that's what having children did to me. And so like he now feels like I I've taken on like the biggest he called it the biggest responsibility anybody could have. And um, but you know, it's like you 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 bring it with you. You know, if there's one thing I've learned about depression and trauma is like it doesn't matter where you go next whether you become a billionaire or you just move on to more stable life, it, it comes with you. Right. You know, and you have to learn and sometimes you can't get rid of it. You just have to learn to live with it. And sometimes it wins or it just, I mean, I don't want to term it as like a fight. Cause I know some people are kind of against that, but, but yeah. sometimes it just, you just, you just can't do it anymore. You know? And that's, that's the sad reality of what happened to him. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. And that's the, Right. Like it's so easy to, to try to like point, oh, it was the heroin or it was this or it was whatever. Um, but like we don't know what being Kurt Cobain was yeah. in 1994. Right. I mean, we don't know because, like you said, he had, you know, this you know crippling pain. He was somebody who never ne- he never necessarily wanted to be famous. Right. He didn't seek that out. Like, didn't he, imagine he said it happened to him. Yeah. Yeah, and it, then it happened, and then not only did it become famous, but then he suddenly became like the mouthpiece of a generation that he never asked for, mm-hmm. to have that kind of pressure put on you, um, while you're just trying to live your life, and then you're also struggling with all this other stuff. I mean, to go one night from you know one day basically being borderline homeless to a millionaire, yeah. where your face is everywhere, like that wouldn't mess with anyone. Much less add all this other stuff to it, and so. You and know, yet we, we look like at it as like the American dream, as like well, well, we should all be vying for, you know. Right, and yeah, and like until so we have this whole thing about right, like, you know, oh, he failed somehow because he took his own life, and it's sad and it's tragic, and you know, I think that you know, we you, you wish that he could have found another solution, at least for the sake of Francis's Francis Bean's, you know, mm-hmm. health, right? Like, you know, could it would have been better for him to just step away from the music and try to do like what John Lennon did and focus on being a parent while, you know, other things are going on. Maybe Courtney, you know, focuses on her career while he becomes a stay at home dad. I mean, you know, our world would have been so much different if that had happened. Um, but I also want to note just as an aside too, that the whole thing about making him a voice of a generation, we've talked about this a little bit here and there in the past. That's, it's a little racist, right? <laughs> Yeah, we've talked. Yeah, how when when Gen X talks about uh, Kirk Cobain being the Westerners, it's usually like white people talking about it and they talking right. About I mean, when we think of music, you and... think of yeah, you think of like oh, '90s music is grunge, right? You go to the '90s radio station, and for the most part, I mean, they've changed up now, where you hear you know like Biggie and stuff on there, but yeah, um, 
you know, but you tend to think of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue Tupac was a bigger voice of the generation. Although I will argue the flannel did 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 make its way to hip hop because yes, I, I, I mean, if you watch like oh, movies, yeah. music videos, like Tupac is rocking the flannel, so it's that influence is still well, there. To, <laughs> to be fair, some of the flannel was gang colors. Okay, that's that's also true. <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, this is one of my all time favorite albums, and Nirvana is my all time favorite band, and you know. I just uh, I, I can relate to Kurt, and I'm not afraid to say that anymore. And I don't think anyone should be afraid to say that they relate to someone like Kurt Cobain. Uh, you know, we need to destigmatize things like depression and anxiety and suicide, and yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 um, gosh, what else? <laughs> what else to say? It's just a, one of the greatest albums of all time. Made a huge impact, and um, yeah, Nirvana forever. Long live Kurt Cobain. <laughs> so, now we move on to the next Master of Divinity, who is going to choose next week's album. And since Chuck is the only person still here, <laughs> he's going to be him. By default. Here's the thing. We, we decided after, we decided last week after JP picked Nirvana, that we decided that we would, that we would focus Music Mayhem this time around on favorite artists. Yeah. So we're picking music from our favorites, right? So I'm going to just mention that in the past, right? Like I've like the album that sort of kicked this whole idea off for me was uh, Paul Simon's Graceland. And the whole the whole idea of Music Mayhem was me listening to that album and being like I have to talk about this. I want to introduce it to people who've never heard it and you know just get that in front of us. So I've liked in the past I've liked to pick you know, either like famous albums that I've never really listened to just to get into the, you know, just to finally give me the excuse to listen to it and talk about it. Um, or things that I think are just gonna be fun to talk about. Like last year we talked about the Beastie Boys, which we had never done before. And, you know, they, they, they were such a big thing for a lot of us. So, or at least for two of us, they were fun to talk about. They were fun to talk about. So, um, so I've not actually picked my, anything that's legitimately my favorite, even though Graceland has probably become my favorite album of all time. Um, I've not picked my favorite band cool. and I've never actually put that on the table for you all. Yeah. And so, um, um, I'm here to say that next week we're gonna listen to Frank Zappa. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> where, um, that would be cool though. Yeah. Um, my favorite, so my favorite album or my favorite band is a group called Guster and I won't mention why they're my favorite. Cause that's what we'll talk about next week. Okay. Um, Patrick Funston, um, Father Fun, is a also a fan of this band, so we should have a good discussion about this group. Um, picking an album was tough. Um, I'm going to do something that's our first, and that is um, the album I'm picking, provided we can actually find it. I think Patrick's indicating we're having some trouble, maybe, but hmm. is um, our first live album. Ooh. Um, and um, it's uh, I want I want us to listen to Guster on Ice. Um, which is their first live record that was put out. Um, the reason for this is that um, they made a sort of an they made a they made a stylistic change between two of their most well known records, Lost and Gone Forever, which is their which is probably their best record, and then Keep It Together, which is the one that I first heard. Um, I love songs from both of those albums. I obviously can't pick both, but um, Guster on Ice, that concert series, they played the main the sort of the big songs from those two records so i felt like this would be a good uh way to introduce guster to you all and on top of that they're one of the few bands that i feel like their live show is better than their recordings than their okay. like studio 
recordings. And so the live show was such a big part of, of Guster and being a Guster fan. So I think I felt like I would risk throwing that out there too. So you guys will, you know, have to hear it in a live concert setting rather than in a studio album um, setup. So, um, so the record I'm picking is Guster on ice by the band Guster. Um, if we have a, if we find out that, cause Patrick said it's, it's, he, um, he was trying to look for it on um, Amazon or whatever. I don't know if it's on like Google Play or anything like that. Huh. Um, I know that I know some of the videos from the mute the movie version are on YouTube. Okay. Um, but then Patrick said, "Oh, hey, maybe I'll get the DVD." And the DVD is three hundred and eighty dollars, which is interesting because <laughs> I own it. It's on my bookshelf. Um, wow. So. Um, Unless that's just the DVD and not the CD DVD combo, I don't know. But anyway, um, that's going to be that's our that's our album to look for. Yeah, but if, so in in the event that we can't actually listen to this because I'm it comes across I'm being too much of a hipster, then we'll we'll revise and you let me know and then we can edit yeah. in something else in this episode. Okay, because it'll it'll either be lost and gone forever or keep it together. Probably keep it together just because it was the first one that I ever heard and made me fall in love with the band. So I can talk about that. First uh, backup album for Music Mayhem this year. Yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. Case, in, so, in case the I, initial I, album is too hipstery to look for to find. <laughs> hey, it's not as bad. It's like I said, I was going to do the, the the vinyl the vinyl version of <laughs> Melancholy of Melancholy and the in, uh, in the Infinite Sadness. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> that would be a thing to talk about. Yeah. Cool. Well, also, uh, cool. Go look for Guster on Ice, folks, and um, let us know where you found it because we may have to. Right. Part part of the fun will be looking for it. I think maybe that's. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Father Chuck, and I want to thank, thank Father you, Fun Jamie. and uh, Matt for making it out. Sorry they couldn't uh, share more, but yeah, it's hard doing a podcast with four people in four different remote locations, all of whom except for one had children. During a global pandemic. Yeah, during a global pandemic. So, uh, thank you for listening, and be sure to join us again next week. Good journey. Good journey.